0: The Gospel of John, chapter 2. Yes, this is a great place to be new to the Bible. This is a great place to be new to the Bible. You don't need to be a Bible expert or even have a Bible with you to follow along. Just grab a device and uh, search Google John and the number 2 and use the initials ESV, the letters ESV as an English Standard Version, and you'll see exactly what I'm reading from. You'll want to follow along for yourself. You've got nothing else to do there but to get yourself in that text John chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, the translator heading, reads, The Wedding at Cana. Wedding at Cana. We return this morning to our study of John. A book written as an eyewitness accounting of the circumstances and events surrounding the life and death and resurrection of a man named Jesus from Nazareth. First century Judea. And if you've been following along, the clock is begun to tick. The clock has begun to tick. If you recall, chapter 1, after an extended introduction, day 1, the first scene in this book, John the Baptist, he's along the Jordan River. He's being interrogated by religious leaders from Jerusalem. He identifies himself with an ancient prophecy from, from Isaiah saying, I'm not the one. I'm not the one. I'm a voice. I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight, make straight the way of the Lord. And the clock ticks, day two. Last chapter, day two. John the Baptist is continuing to preach and baptize along the river when along comes Jesus. Right? Walking by, and John stops what he's doing and shouts out from the crowd, behold, the Lamb of God... And we got to wonder, he doesn't even really get it yet. They all don't get it yet. This could mean all kinds of things. But he declares, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He says, this man outranks me. I've seen the Spirit descend upon him, he says in chapter 1. He's the one. John the Baptist says, he's the one. And the clock keeps ticking, right? Day 3. John spots jesus again and this is, imagine that you just i'm there again and there he goes walking by he spots jesus and calls him out pointing to him behold the lamb of god and then and then get this people start following jesus the first disciples people start following him day four more and more this is the end of chapter one more and more people begin to follow this seemingly unknown obscure man from nazareth named jesus and as amazing as they estimate him to be and they begin to call him by every theological religious title they can come up from with the, the messiah the anointed one the christ the lamb the king he's the son of god jesus tops them all end of chapter one he tops them all digging deep Right, and offers them something that comes all the way back from the first book in your Bible, Genesis, quoting verbatim and alluding to Jacob's Jacob, the patriarch, in his dream sequence, the latter. He says, You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, Jesus said, I say to you, you will see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In essence, he's saying, For I am Jacob's ladder. I am the bridge. I am the gate of heaven. I am the gate of heaven. Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 1. A few more days pass by, and we encounter a feast, a celebration. Look with me. I'll read them. Pray. Verse 1, follow along. John the Apostle writes, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Verse 2. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with His disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to Him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with Me? My hour has not yet come. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now, Draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. Verse 9. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely then the poor wine but you have kept the good wine until now verse 11 this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. The very words of God, would you pray with me for understanding. Father, a simple prayer this morning, a simple prayer this morning as we read these words and this account, would you show us your glory? Would you show us your glory, transport us back in our minds and our hearts to this moment and open our eyes, open our eyes that we might believe in spite of not seeing, that we might believe in spite of not being there. Send your spirit, knock on the door this morning, I pray. Change lives, save us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, okay. Oh, this first miracle, the, the first miracle in a, in a series of miracles in the Gospel of John, or better yet, you might have wonders, or better yet, in the Gospel of John, signs performed by Jesus, I feel like I, I, I felt this way as I studied this week, I, I feel like as I'm reading it right now, I feel like I'm about to reintroduce you, us, reacquaint us with an old familiar friend. For some of you, all this is new. All this is new, and, and I'm thrilled that you're here exploring Jesus with us. The Gospel of John was written with you in mind. If you haven't read the Bible, you don't, you're not familiar with this. It's an unusually helpful book in the Bible when it comes to individuals who know little to nothing about Christianity in, in particular, Jesus. It's an unusually helpful book. Speaking of Jesus, who, you know, today functions like a boogeyman, right? Prowling around out to get us, but not here. I'm so glad you're here reading this for the maybe the first time. But for those of us who know or in the know, who believe and have read stuff like this, the miracle of turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, I feel as if I'm about to reintroduce him to us all over again. Nothing really crazy or new. But maybe maybe a little bit too unfamiliar. Why, ask yourself, why is this the first sign? We know, we know why the signs are in this book. Why, why, why John the Apostle included... These signs in his book, John the Apostle told us at the end of the book, I can read it for you, he he wrote, now Jesus did many other signs (laughs) after he told us a number of signs, starting with this sign. He told us many other signs in the presence of his disciples. He did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So he's being selective. But these are written that you might believe. So we know why he included the signs. He selected some, left others out of his book so that we might believe. But why this one? Why this one? Theologians actually often will argue, it kind of feels gratuitous. (laughs) His first sign, he makes wine. (laughs) Why this one? Why is this the first sign? Why did Jesus turn water into wine? If if signs are like miracles, okay, and, and, and John the Apostle doesn't use the word miracle in his gospel at all, you gotta find that word there. He calls the events like this signs, which function in a way very much like a miracle—a uh, moment in which God intervenes, intervenes in a natural into the natural order of things in an extraordinary way, drawing attention not to the miracle but to Himself. It's not about the miracle. It's not about the sign. It's not about the wonder, but Himself. Miracles and signs—listen—they aren't common. Okay? They're not they're not how God typically works. That's why we have a natural order, and then we have this thing that goes against the natural order or interrupts the natural order. Miracles are by design. Signs are by design acts of God intended to arouse in us awe and wonder. Because the witnesses of a miracle are witnesses to God's power and his presence whether we believe it or not you might not believe it though i think most people believe that something could happen but whether you believe it or not for example i just give you an example uh, a scenario a, a case scenario costco okay costco like finding a parking space at costco is not a miracle it feels like a miracle, but it's not a miracle. Even though it rarely ha- miracles rarely happen, that's just God's providence. He's being kind to you, whether you deserve it or not. You get a parking space at Costco. The rest of us just go home and try tomorrow. Uh, number two, uh, but but then now you're okay. You're at Costco, right? And you 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 go to the checkout counter, and you don't have the pirate booty, right? And and it and you don't you you're not a grown man who has escaped the allure of pirate booty. But again, that's not a miracle. You just didn't find it. You didn't know which aisle to look in, gentlemen. And when you get home, you'll need to ask for forgiveness. Okay? But listen, listen. Walking out the door of Costco, walking out the door of Costco without stop- first stopping at the food court, okay? That's not willpower. You can't explain that away with willpower. You can't explain that away uh, uh, by some sort of New Year's resolution, right? And unfortunately, I just want to argue again, that's not a miracle. That's, it's like un-American. You don't do that. You stop. You deserve a chicken bake if you made it that far, <laughs> and you get through the checkout line. Listen, listen, there are very few. I'm making a point. There are very few miracles going on at Costco. <laughs> not typically happening, not usually happening a miracle are they are a sign is a precious rare moment where god supersedes the laws of nature and it occurs so that we might believe not in miracles not in miracles but in christ so go back to my original question again why did jesus turn water into wine Why did Jesus turn water into wine? Allow allow me to walk carefully through the text with you and reintroduce you to the story. Maybe we can avoid a couple misconceptions and misinterpretations along the way as to why this happened, and then at the end, discover why he did it. Why he did it. And let's be clear right up front. If one, more, one more point before we look at the text. Let's be clear right up front that he did this, that this happened is not in dispute. It's not in dispute. You may be disputing it, but no credible historian or theologian, it, uh, no one's disputing it. It's widely agreed upon, best of our knowledge, that everyone, everyone was convinced as a fact that there was a man named Jesus who lived in Judea and Galilee Galilee, uh, in the first century performing signs as he traveled all over the region. People are convinced of this. Jewish records at the time attest to it. The Roman records, the occupiers at the time, they attest to this. The Bible is full of signs, miracles, and wonders. And many of the first Christians, first century, first disciples died. The the guys in the scene here, they're all going to die as martyrs. Unwilling to deny that this happened. Look back with me, verse 1 again. Why did he do this? John writes, verse 1, On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Listen, there's clues here. They're all over. There's so much here. Mary and Jesus are part of this wedding. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus himself, and some of his disciples are at this wedding. This could very well be, if you're wondering why this wedding is here, it, it could very well be a family affair. Someone closely related to Jesus is getting married, and the location Cana, we'll see later in this book that one of Jesus' disciples mentioned in chapter 1, Nathaniel, is from here, from this very location. So there's no surprise that Jesus is attending this wedding. He, he belongs here. He should have gotten an invite. He's not a wedding crasher. He's not on the job. He's on the je- guest list. He was invited, and he's attending, and you can be safe to assume that along with his, like he got like a plus five or something at this point, <laughs> Jesus was enjoying himself. Now, if you don't know, th- this text has a particular grip on my heart, and I don't care if he doesn't want you to know. Um, but uh, my oldest son just got engaged two weeks ago. We're, we're, we're joining a new club. Yeah. Well, you're not clapping for me. Well, you could clap for me. No. So I'm, I'm very aware, like, two weeks into it, like, how many plus ones do we get? <laughs> and who are my friends that I get to invite? And actually, I've told my wife already, we're just going to have to throw our own parties. But, and and you're going to learn in a moment here weddings were a long they, they, they were day long affairs. we may be having a day long a week long affair coming up here at a, a wedding this is wonderful. Jesus is there and he is enjoying himself he's safe to assume he's not there punching the clock isn't that interesting Why this one first? the first snapshot of the life of Jesus after he His encounter with John the Baptist and the first people are pointing their finger and saying he's the one. As he launches his public ministry, John the the Apostle chooses this one first. What could perhaps be the happiest moment in ancient Near Eastern culture? A wedding. This is where we see Jesus first. Our weddings today, listen, our weddings today are in many ways pale in comparison to how people celebrating wedding, celebrated weddings like this one here. They lasted for days. They lasted for days. It was a feast. If you wonder why they ran out of wine, it's most likely they ran out of wine. Some people would argue because Jesus brought five instead of one. He, he went over his limit on the plus one thing. I don't, that could be the case, but that's, that's speculation. But these parties lasted for days. People traveled in. It was a feast. It was a festival. It was a party, unlike any other party at this time in this culture. There weren't raves at this time. There weren't clubs to go out to at night. In many ways, in this day, people in this culture at this time, maybe even Jesus himself would have said, these days are the best days. This day would be the best day. The best days of my life were spent at weddings, Now, who here identifies with that? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm gonna. (laughs) Where do we find Jesus at the start of his public life? At perhaps the happiest place on earth. A wedding. Keep reading, though. It's not about weddings, and this isn't a wedding planning passage here. Verse 3. When the wine ran out the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. (laughs) Again, stop here, so familiar. And it's also not the point. In particular, right at this moment, you can notice this is only going to be one of two appearances of Mary in the entire gospel. He's not going to use her name. (laughs) So much can be made of her And we can be grateful for God's work in her. But here in the actual text, not so much. There's a lot built on that text there. His mom asked him to do something and he does it. It's not what this is about. Verse 4. Jesus said to her, Woman. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Jesus appears. Listen, oh, and this just can be puzzling. Jesus appears to be rather impersonal, maybe even a little bit disrespectful, and quick with and short with his mother. <laughs> with his mother. He doesn't even address her as mother. John the apostle doesn't call her Mary, doesn't use her name. Jesus doesn't use her title. He just says woman. And then he says, my hour has not yet come. If I had a dollar for every time I heard one of our, my children say, <laughs> when it, you ask them to do a chore, to empty the dishwasher, mother, woman, my hour has not yet come. <laughs> Nothing would get done in our house. Okay, I'm implicating myself as well. I'll get to it. <laughs> my hour has not yet come. Sorry, Mom. Some reason that this sign is all about Mary and Mary's role in the ministry of Jesus, or even that he is now distancing himself from his family. Some begin to wonder what is it that Mary believed about her son? It, it appears she believes something about him, but what it is at this point, you might say, we can be safe to say, we don't know. She thinks he could do something, right? But we don't know, actually, verse 5, you, you can't even assume you know what Mary is expecting. Look, verse 5, you, it's so familiar that you might think she's asking him to change the water and the wine, but what is she actually expecting? Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. little easter egg here you're wondering what's mary's role in this wedding again this is a happy happy moment perhaps in the whole family's life she may be playing one of the hosts but we don't know what she's asking we just know that she turned to the servants who had she had the servants here and she says do whatever he tells you And, and and she just disappears to the end of the book it's not actually to the end of the book That Mary and even the disciples seem to really fully get who Jesus is. At this moment, you might even say this is a a sign for unbelievers, for skeptics, for those wondering and searching and seeking and watching, observing, witnessing the sign at the moment. What did she expect to happen? I don't know. And why did Jesus protest at this moment? Lots can be made about this as well, but in this moment, why when He protests and then turns around and He's going to take action? I don't know. We don't know. My hour has not yet come. He might have had it in mind what I think we see throughout the Gospel of John, which is my hour has not yet come. Speaking of His death, why, why, why are you asking me to die now? What are you asking of me? That's what I'm here to do. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does this have to do with me? But yet He acts. And this this is the first sign. Verse 6. Keep reading. Now, Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons these are big jugs okay it's verse 7 jesus said to the servants here he goes fill the jars with water and then what are the servants thinking we don't know and they filled them up to the brim here's some color and he said to them now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast so they took it They took it. Do do they know what it is at this moment? Again, we don't know. But it might surprise you to observe at this moment that it isn't because they ran out of wine that he turned the water into alcohol. This is very gratuitous, as I said <laughs> at the beginning. To think there's not a healing here. You can get a parking space at Costco. This there's nothing you might say inconvenient. There was a, this was a big social blunder. But we don't know why they ran out of wine. And we know that the point of this passage isn't that wine is good. That wine is good. <laughs> Can't make an argument here for prohibiting the consumption of wine and alcohol. In fact, I think it might surprise many to, just to stop for a moment and think they might have run out of the wine, and the wine at this time would have been very weak. It would have been weak grape juice almost, but it had alcohol in it, and apparently you could see later it was affecting people enough that they weren't uh, enjoying the poor wine later would be the anticipation. but. Maybe one of the people who drank this wine was Jesus. There's nowhere here that says he didn't. This isn't about an argument for wine (laughs) or an argument against wine. It's neither of these. It's not about the wine. Keep reading. Verse 9. It's not about the wine. They're about to discover that it is wine. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. They were the ones that saw the sign. The master of the feast called who? Not Mary. He doesn't know Mary's involved. He doesn't call the servants. He's assuming the servants are just doing what they're supposed to do. Giving him a taste of it. Make sure it's okay. It's not that poor at this point in the party line that he would not want to serve it no he grabs the bridegroom now we're getting close to the meeting he grabs the bridegroom verse 10 and said to him everyone serves the good wine first and when the people have drunk freely then the poor wine and he says to the bridegroom, master of the ceremonies. The one who's caused all this to start from the first place by finding himself a bride, you have kept the good wine until now. Or in other words, you saved the best for last. why we think of this in terms of why did Jesus turn water into wine but here the question isn't why would you turn water into wine that's obvious and if you like a glass of wine you might be nodding your head and going yeah why that's that's obvious wine is better than water (laughs) coffee is better than tea What do they call it, Costco? Those chicken things? They're like Hot Pockets. Chicken bakes, chicken bakes are better than the pizza. It's, oh. it's not about the chicken bake. So, why would you save the best for last? This whole intervention into the natural order of things, this whole surprise. This inexplainable, like water doesn't turn into wine. Why? Why, why, why? Oh. why would you save the best for last? The turning of the water into wine is a sign. An invitation to consider not that this is possible, as in how could water become wine? But an invitation to consider who Jesus is. An invitation to consider where He fits into the picture in our lives, in the feast, on the wedding day. Just one point for you to wonder with awe and gratefulness hopefully to experience joy and faith god has saved the best for last why would he save the best for last? why would he save the best the best revelation of who he is and how he loves and what he asks and what he gives for the last he, you're familiar with this if you've been around he's he's the good and better and best covenant between God and man he's the true and better Adam there was one man who plunged the world into darkness and sin and there is a second man a second Adam at the end who is the best he's the better moses oh the scriptures say he's the better joshua he's the better abraham he's the better priest he's the great and final priest he's the better everything and when we're at the wedding and we're rejoicing in all that christ has done and how we have been redeemed This turning of water into wine won't be what fascinates us. It won't be the wine that fascinates us. It'll be that why would He wait to the end to elicit joy from us and satisfaction and a hope and an anticipation and an appreciation and an awe and a wonder at God's last final spoken Word. Hebrews chapter 1. He speaks to us through a son is it is it not expected surprising but expected that if in the beginning right the very beginning of of the story of how god would save the world we have a first man and a first woman and what do we have in eden but a wedding Mm. and if we go to the very end We find the same. Let me just read for you just so we enjoy what this sign is pointing to. Revelation chapter 21. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the end. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride. adorned for her husband the church a bride adorned for her husband and i heard a loud voice from throne saying behold the dwelling place of god is with man and they will dwell with them and they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their god the beginning a wedding the ending a wedding in fact i always love weddings and and I've married a few of you. I've been there. Well, God's the one that marries you. But I'm there officiating. And I always love to start by saying the same thing every time because it's so true. And it's what's happening right here. That marriage and weddings are more beautiful than anyone on earth will ever understand. It's why in Ephesians, just think about this, this wedding motif and who the bridegroom really is. Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. If this confuses you, look at it, listen to it now. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Was he speaking about? He's speaking of Christ and the church. Right? A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become flesh. And Jesus is sitting here on our first scene in his public ministry at a wedding. And what does he see? Paul the Apostle writes, This mystery is profound. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. A truth long ago in many ways hidden but now revealed not hard to understand just not yet seen why did jesus turn water into wine so that the host the grand master of this week-long celebration would go to the bridegroom and say why have you saved the best for last jars for purification in there there's a million easter eggs to enjoy but what we have at the very end is jesus playing the role of the perfect all providing bridegroom out of water comes wine Better than any husband could ever provide. Any man could ever provide. Jesus sees Himself as the bridegroom and changes the water into wine so that everyone would stop and everyone would pause and wonder why. Why at the end would we be served the best? This might be quite the opposite of how you relate to Him. It could be quite the opposite of how you think about Jesus. This is how he sees himself mystery, long hidden, now, now revealed. He's speaking of a wedding, he's speaking of a man and a woman married together, and he's speaking of Christ in the church. It might be quite the opposite of how you picture him. He's a killjoy. <laughs> I don't know, some of you might have church backgrounds or family backgrounds where alcohol is prohibited because alcohol is evil. And you find you're sitting here going, wait wait a second. What is my reading here? And there are challenges with alcohol. And you shouldn't drink all those jugs by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the miracles lead us like the star to the sun he says things about himself so that as we observe them like he's the best we might believe listen over and over again you're going to hear as long as you're around he's the best he's the best you might be wondering why am i hearing this now I have decades of regret. I might have been even engaged in the life of a church, saved, transformed. I've been following Jesus. I've been His disciple, but I haven't seen Him as the best. Jesus comes out the gate, John chapter 2, saying, we've saved the best for last. Whatever your soul is craving, whatever you're looking to to make yourself satisfied, Peaceful. whatever you're doing to ensure that you don't give in to fear and protect yourself from anxiety all those things like wine are but signs all the good things even marriage itself and a wedding a sign as John writes in Revelation, let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. And that's my question as we close and I pray. May we be ready. May we yoke ourselves, unite ourselves to this bridegroom and rejoice to be His bride for all of us this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for sending Your Son. Thank You for sending Him that He might save us from ourselves as wayward brides, as wayward sheep lost in rebellion, only racking up points against ourselves, ruining our lives. But the bridegroom and the church cries, Come. Prepare yourself. Allow Him to sanctify you, to transform you, even our pleasures and joys, so that even things like wine just become more echoes of how satisfying and how glad you make our hearts. Oh, do this, we pray this morning. Do this for all of us in this room. May we walk out happy to be part of the wedding party. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.